We live today, don't we, in a world of contracts and agreements. I wonder if you've thought this morning of how many contracts that you have honoured since you got out of bed. If it was still dark or in the early morning light, you would have first thing you would have done probably switched on a light or put the kettle on. So therefore you've already been in a contract with your electricity supplier. You pay them to supply you with electricity. They're supposed to supply you with electricity and keep it safe in the process. Or perhaps you've switched on the TV to hear the news. Again, contract with you and the BBC or whoever is there in place. You most likely drove here this morning, so therefore you have a contract with your finance company for your car or with your garage to maintain your car in good running order. You pay car tax so that the roads can be maintained in good order. Well, that's the theory anyway, isn't it? (laughs) Agreements, contracts or covenants. I believe Fred is starting, and uh, you've seen it on the on the sheets uh, of his sermons over the past two weeks, looking at the concept of this covenant God. So, without wanting to preempt any of his teaching, I thought it right this morning to consider how Jesus is the new covenant and how he can transform our lives today. In other words, how can how can he? open our eyes and minds to who he is. Hence, John chapter 9. I suppose when we think of covenants, our minds immediately turn to the Old Testament and to the covenant made between God, Yahweh, or Jehovah, and his chosen people Israel. He entered into an agreement with them. You think of the words of the baptism that... uh, he chose to be his, his. He chose to be our God, and that we would be His people. But I think if you go back even further than that to creation, if you think of the creation story, God took the dust of creation, breathed life into it, and men came into being. Everything was supposed to be perfect, of course, but then Adam came, or perhaps, as we better say, the first Adam. Because he ruined it for all his descendants. And things got so bad. We look at the beginning of Genesis. Cain murdering his brother Abel. That God was moved to destroy everything. Well, almost everything. And start again. The floods came. But then notice that at the end of Genesis 8. And into Genesis 9. The first covenant that God makes directly with man. Was with Noah. Never again would the earth be destroyed by flood. Or things started over again by striking down every living creature. Why was man not obliterated in order to start again? Why was Noah left as a chosen uh, man with his family? God knew that he had finished creation with the perfect creation. He had made man in his own image. (coughs) The first covenant, if you like. If he had destroyed man to start again, he would have broken his own covenant with creation. And we know, of course, that God does not break his word. And I think that should be an encouragement for us today. Think of how many times 
God could have wiped out creation because things have got so bad and then restarted, but he never has done. Some of you are my age and older. I can still remember October 1962 as a youngster sitting in front of the television screens and those of you will remember Michael Aspel as a television reader and the threat of World War III and I can remember my parents looking at one another thinking this was going to be the button pressed. And then a year later, again sitting one Friday evening in that awful day in November 1963 when we heard that John F. Kennedy had been shot and my parents looked at one another and thought, this is the end. But I think the encouragement for us today must be that the new creation is ours and that it will never end. It will only end when either Jesus takes him takes us to be with himself or when he returns in glory. So despite that fall of man, there were always those like Noah who obeyed God and this is part of God's plan to be, into a, 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 to be in a covenant relationship with him. If we move on to the accounts of Abraham in Genesis 15 and then again in Genesis 17, we see that Abraham was an old man and, and, and his wife Sarah an old woman. He could not see how he would be honouring God and he could not see how God would enhance or extend his people. He was beginning to despair. He could not see how God was going to resolve things. Where was the evidence of a kind and gracious God? So God took him and showed him things he could see. He pointed out the stars and said, count the number of the stars in the sky if you can. That number and greater will be your offspring. And then as a further sign, God brought the sign of covenant or circumcision that would be carried by man through his earthly life. A mark, if you like, on him. Similar to signing an agreement, it's something that is seen. Then when we think of Moses, Moses at the time of the Egyptian slavery and the passage that we read in Exodus 6, Moses was given signs affirming that indeed God was who he said he was and that he would rescue his people. There was the burning bush, the staff that became the serpent when it was thrown down onto the ground. And of course, Moses was called to testify to the signs of the plagues which were going to be sent on Pharaoh. Moses asks, what is your name? God replies, I am who I am. Now that's perhaps a difficult expression. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. I was who I always was. I will be what I will be. He is Jehovah, Yahweh. He is the great covenant God, the great I am. He depends on nobody and nothing. He is. This is our heritage, our ancestry, our great God. And through the visual proof, Moses showed Pharaoh God's power in the plagues. Through sight, the people saw Moses leading them to within sight of the promised land. We might not necessarily see God through physical sight, but we have the greater sight of both the histories and the prophecies of the Old Testament. And evidences, evidence of witnesses in the New Testament who were with Jesus and saw his miracles saw his death and saw him raised from the dead 
This is our covenant God. God bringing a second Adam, the firstborn of a new covenant. So Jesus says in John 8, verse 8, Before Abraham was, I am. Jesus was with God, was God in the beginning. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 can confidently claim that for as a man came, for as by a man came death, by a man has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. How then, you ask, is Jesus our new covenant God? Are the covenants of old now void that he has come? No, of course not. But they have been fulfilled in Jesus. God in the Old Testament led the chosen people to the promised land. He supplied them with all their needs, manna from heaven, bitter waters made sweet, water from the rock, the parting of the Red Sea. And later on in 1 Kings, in Elijah's time, we think of the pot of oil never running out and many other things. Now if you think of those events in the Old Testament, think of Jesus. Jesus today is leading his people, that's you and I, to the promised land. He performed many miracles, became the ultimate sacrifice for our wrongdoings. The pot of oil that didn't run out in Elijah's time has become the pot of his grace, never running out today. And this pot of grace changing countless broken lives that have been mended and renewed through a new belief in him. He is opening people's eyes spiritually. I don't know when you were at school if you battled with something. I battled with algebra. For long and weary could never understand algebra. And then suddenly I had an excellent teacher who just made the penny drop. And it was like scales falling from your eyes. I suddenly could do things that I hadn't done before because I was suddenly able to understand them. Perhaps it's the same with you. You've had experiences like that where you've suddenly discovered something that you never understood before. And in the opening of spiritual eyes, when we think of the miracles in John, often being referred to as signs because the actual miracles were not as important as what they were pointing to. In all the miracles of the Old Testament that we thought about, nobody ever received their sight. But now Jesus in his earthly ministry is laying great emphasis on opening eyes of the blind think even more so than raising people from the dead. If you think of the miracles throughout the Gospels that are recorded, the number of times that we see of blind people being healed. Blind Bartimaeus in Mark chapter 10. Two men at the side of the road in Matthew chapter 9. Countless lepers. Now of course leprosy affected eyesight. So when leprosy was healed, the eyesight came back. But I wonder if you see something far deeper, something more awesome, something more profound here. Some writers believe that of all the miracles that Jesus performed, this healing of the blind man is the most profound. The truth of this miracle, of course, is that you are the man born blind. 
I am the man born blind. What was it Jesus said? Except a man be born again, he cannot see. Only Jesus can give you the spiritual sight. The greatest eye surgeon there has ever been. <clears throat> Back in December last year, when I was here, I preached on the prophecies of Isaiah. You know the famous ones, particularly we talk about at Christmas time. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be in his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor and all of these. But if you look at some of the prophecies later on in Isaiah, equally talking about Jesus, just listen to some of these. Isaiah chapter 29 at verse 18. In that day, in the day to come, the deaf shall hear the words of a book, and out of the gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind shall see. Or Isaiah chapter 35 and verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Or go on to Isaiah chapter 42 and at verse 6. I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand. That's Isaiah here talking of God's chosen servant, Jesus. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring the prisoners out of the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. What if we just sung, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth and followed thee. If we go back to Isaiah 35 again, it talks there of four different types of handicap. Now, I don't want to demean any form of handicap at all because there will be people here who have known folks with all the different types, whether they're blind or deaf or mute or lame. Each of these is horrendous. But if you had a choice of either, and I know that perhaps sounds a bit trite, but which would you choose? Probably most of us, if we were honest, would avoid blindness. Especially if we had had the power of sight in early life and then lost it. We would be thrown into a total world of chaos and darkness. And probably the most frightening. That hymn that we sung, Blessed Assurance, was written by Fanny Crosby. We're going to sing one of them, another great one at the end. Fanny Crosby was struck down with blindness at the age of 12, I think. And spent the rest of her life totally blind. Any pictures you see of her, she's always wearing dark glasses. And yet, throughout her life, she was one of the most prolific hymn writers. She took the gospel to presidents of the United States. She never, ever doubted her faith in the Saviour, even though she was plunged into this world of darkness. So in this miracle that, of John 9 that we're looking at, I think there are three great truths which bridge the gap between blindness and sight, spiritual blindness, spiritual sight. You know, in Scotland we have a fascination with bridges, don't we? Um, whether they're the famous bridges that fall down, like the Tay Bridge, or the famous bridges like Glenfin and Viaduct now, which, thanks to Harry Potter, has it's become one of the most famous bridges in the world, or the three bridges in Scotland, uh, in in, uh, in Edinburgh, near Edinburgh. 
Um, I like to think the, the first bridge that was built, the fourth rail bridge, heralded the, the dawn of rail transport. The second bridge built in the 1960s heralded the dawn of road transport. And now you have the Queen's Ferry crossing, which has now heralded the dawn of the traffic jam. <laughs> but can I, um, looking at the first bridge in this parable, it's the one that, I believe the first bridge is the one that Jesus can take us across from darkness to light, from fear to faith, from chaos to order. And so can I suggest that, that blindness is the hardest handicap, especially if it is lost in later life. To live in a dark world must be frightening and one needs assistance in crossing the bridge from alienation, fear and disorder to order and meaning. Jesus can bridge that gap. He bridged the gap in Fanny Crosby's life. He takes us over from darkness to light. She overcame her handicap with a life of service to her God in whom she trusted. But I suppose then, as in Jesus' day, there were people who would have echoed the words of the disciples. Who sinned? Did Fanny Crosby sin? Did her parents sin that he or she was born blind or became blind? I suppose it's a natural question to ask if I'm afflicted with something, is it because I've done something wrong? Is it because... I'm a greater sinner than anybody else. And I think we have to be very clear and say, no, of course not. Just because we believe in Jesus, we have become a Christian, is not going to make us escape from anything that can befall us in health or in other things. Jesus' immediate answer was, nobody sinned, but the works of God might be displayed in him or in Fanny Crosby. And if you think of that, think of the works of God that have been displayed in people that have been struck down with various illnesses. There's all the charity work. If you think of the blind, look at the work of the guide dogs. When you see somebody with a guide dog, what work has gone into training? So the first bridge taking us across from darkness into light, but the second bridge to fill the gap, moves us from an old view of Jesus to a new one. If you look at verse 17 in chapter 9, the Pharisees, as usual, usual, were scornful of anything that challenged their authority. They were the religious supremos of their day. And they questioned to the man as to who he thought Jesus was. Chapter 9 and verse 17. Then they turned again to the blind man, what have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. I suppose that at this stage the, the, the blind man who had been healed was not sure. He was perhaps now on the back foot. Who do you think Jesus is? Is he simply a prophet like Isaiah or Jeremiah or Daniel? Many people today, if you asked who Jesus was, would put him in a parallel with Muhammad or Buddha or Confucius. Even Jesus' disciples, when Jesus was there with them, thought he was on the same level as Moses or Elijah, I think, just after the transfiguration. And then Jesus turns on them and says, but who do you say that I am? Not what anybody else says, who do you say 
a direct question from the lips of the Master. But why did the Pharisees persist questioning this man? Was it to get the man to disown Jesus and so discredit him? But the man, although he has not yet fully believed in who Jesus is, was starting to play the Pharisees at their own game. Pharisees believe God has spoken to Moses, we see that in verse 29, as of course they would know the Old Testament and the covenants. And yet, they too were blind as they did not realise that the greater Moses was come. So the man, I think, starts to mock their unbelief, perhaps unwittingly. Because <clears throat> he says to them in verse 30, Well, you may not know where he's come from, but he's opened my eyes. And the man, possibly also knowing something of the Old Testament and the theology of the Old Testament, challenges the Pharisees by saying that there might have been many miracles up to that point, thinking of the Old Testament miracles, but this is the first time that somebody's been healed of blindness. Then he taunts them again, verse 33, if this man were not from God, he could do nothing. First the man realised Jesus could be a prophet, then he knew he was from God. Then Jesus comes to him again and asks him directly, do you believe in the Son of Man? Verse 35. Now verse 37, it is he who is speaking to you. Then the climax, verse 38, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. It was all a large crescendo right up to that point. It was coming to a climax. First of all, the man said, he is a prophet. Then he said, if not from prophet, and he could do, if he's not from God, he could do nothing. And then he's asked, do you believe? And he says, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Echoes of Daniel chapter 9, when Daniel turns his face to the Lord, seeking him in prayer and in fasting. Has your view of Jesus turned from an old view to a new view? If not, you can change it now, today, before you leave here. Bridging the gap from darkness to light, the first point. Bridging the dark gap from an old view to a new view of Jesus, the second point. And thirdly, Bridging from the old creation to the new creation, or if you like, from the old covenant to the new covenant. I wonder if you're aware of the significance of how Jesus healed the blind man. He spat on the dust of the ground and mixed the saliva into a paste and then rubbed the paste into a man's eyes. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2 and at verse 7, uh, the story of the creation. We see that in chapter 7, the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and the man became a living creature. God's first covenant, as we saw at the beginning, was he was giving life. He breathed life, pointing to his working of the Holy Spirit Part of the triune God. He would not take this life away from man because of one man's disobedience, hence his covenant with Noah. In the old covenant, there was always the evidence of God working through events and signs. But here in the new covenant is Jesus, the Son. And what Jesus was doing here was, if you like, he was adding his DNA to the dust of the earth, 
to give sight a new life. By spitting on the ground, the saliva, his DNA, was adding to the dust of the earth. So Jesus was reenacting the old symbolism by making a new man. Jesus does not want to make different people. He wants to make new people. Are you a new person? Do you feel as though that you are a new person or could be a new person? And if and you can be, if you realise, even for the first time today, that Jesus can bring you new life, a second birth. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So Jesus, the bridge between the old and the new, the old covenant and the new covenant. He can remove the spiritual blindness, make you see everything in a new light. The great God, Jehovah, come to earth to give himself as the new covenant. Come and see. But as with the Pharisees who boasted that they saw, but in reality who were lying... We see that at the end of chapter 9, of uh, John 9, um, at chapter 40, some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are we blind to? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim that you can see, in other words, they were claiming they could see, but they couldn't really, their guilt remained. You will never pull the wool over Jesus' eyes. Even when we are like silly sheep gone astray. And earlier on in John's Gospel at chapter 4 and at verse 29, the woman that Jesus had met at the well, who rushed down to her family and said, Come, see a man. See a man who told me all that I ever did. Come and see, won't you? Open your eyes and see for yourself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that indeed you would open our eyes. Come and see Come and see the Lord in all his glory. Come and see who he really is and how he can direct our paths into new ways of thinking, into new life. Help us to worship this great God, we pray. Help us to follow Jesus with our eyes wide open that he has given us this marvellous sight Help us to worship him in all of our lives, to give ourselves over to him, and that we can become a total new creation. Thank you for your word and all your blessings to us. So bless us this day and from now on, in the new light we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.